So, Rachel. Yeah? While the Enterprise is undergoing repairs near Earth, Picard and Worf reconnect with their families. Ooh. What do you think you're going to get? So, is Worf's hookup back? Or is it his bro? Or maybe mm. it's even his human parents. I'd like to see his parents' awkwardness trying to parent him as an adult Klingon, but being tempted to fawn over him and express affection. Oh. Oh. <laughs> we'll have Picard's mommel, and let's say a brother who's intimidating, even though Picard's a captain. Will they beam them up to the ship? I think the last episode's probably expensive, mm. so we might not have the budget for Paris. Those are my guesses. Pretty good guesses. All oh, right. <laughs> Watches Star Trek. Captain's Log, Stardate 44012.3. The Enterprise remains docked at McKinley Station, undergoing a major overhaul and refit following the Borg incident. I'm confident that the ship and her crew will soon be ready to return to service. Welcome to Rachel Watches Star Trek. I'm Rachel again. We are inside of season four. Ooh. Uh, but this episode was a box of Kleenex for oh, me. It was, it was not, at least five tissues. It was not. It was more than five tissues. Oh. It was, there was a lot of feelings going on. And I even welled up. You, you welled. Yeah. And oh. you know, for me, that's yeah. a, two, a two box of tissues wow. equivalent. So we begin with the Enterprise-D undergoing repairs in dry dock following the Borg attack. It's got this huge metal structure attached to the top of it. What? What is that? You know, it's got equipment to repair the ship, supplies... All the things you would need to make a ship go again. We can only serve one ship at a time. Looks like a big metal spider encasing yeah. it. Yeah, I guess that's so that you can move it around. It probably has got sublight capabilities, so they can just move mm. it to wherever it needs to go in the system to go fix ships. Yeah, okay. I guess. Well, I don't great, know. yeah. So they don't have to go to a big space station and disembark no, and no. have that whole thing. Now, many of the members of the crew are taking shore leave or having their families aboard. Worf's foster parents are on the visitors list. Yay. And Worf is surprised by this, did not know. Oh, he and didn't he's not, invite them. <laughs> no, he's not too happy about it. Aww. He tells Riker it's inappropriate for a Klingon to receive family while on duty. Aww. Riker's like, yeah, they're humans. <laughs> Do you <laughs> want not, a few days off then? We're not, you won't be on duty. we're not Klingons, you know, yeah. we've got different standards here. I don't like it. Mm. <laughs> Worf has written to them and told them of his discommendation, and he doesn't believe that any human can truly understand his dishonor. Aww. And boom, I'm already invested. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what were you thinking his parents were going to be like, his foster parents? Really lovely. Yeah. Yeah, I assumed they'd be great and he'd be just really resistant to being treated in that non-Klingon way. Yeah. And he's ashamed of what happened and he doesn't think they'll get it. Yeah. Picard is packing to go to Earth and wearing the first of several attractive crossover tops. <laughs> he's heading for his home village in France for the first time in nearly 20 years. Wow. Whoa. Interesting, says Troy, who's been helping him recover from his experience with the Borg. Glad to hear it. Yeah. You've refused a holiday for the last three years, she says, and now you're going to your home village. He claims he's much better now. His nightmares have ended and that what he needs now is some time for himself. Troy challenges his choice of location, though, perhaps because she knows his family history or thinks the experience has changed him. So I'm really happy to see Troy's part in his recovery being acknowledged straight away and naming the process of recovery he's going to need from this trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Picard reaches for a few books and then decides to put them back. Yeah. What? 
Well, he's not going to do raiding. He's going to go try and connect. Worf arrives at the transporter room to receive his parents. And we shoehorn in another conversation with (laughs) O'Brien. Who says, well, you know, women, to Worf's disgust and mine. (laughs) When he complains that his mother's always late. Worf is keen to get the visit over with. O'Brien complains his own dad chased a nurse around when he came. Did Mm. Jean write this scene? (laughs) (laughs) But it's funny when he says, but it's always something with parents, isn't it? (laughs) did like it, because it it is, is, isn't it? It is. Everybody's got to beef with their parents. (laughs) Not you, Mom and Dad. No, I don't either, but everybody seems to have. There's always something. No, I'm talking about your Mom and Dad. I have plenty with mine, but they're not listening. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. They don't listen. The Rajenkos materialize eager and warm to see Worf. Theodore Baikel and Georgia Brown are both well-known in Yiddish theater, initially causing some studio concern that Worf's parents might appear comically Jewish. No, I didn't think it, but then I wouldn't be sensitive to that, not being part of the community. Pillar dismissed these concerns, noting that the finished episode treads the line of universal humor. Yeah, felt really relatable. Oh, yeah. Bickel is probably best known for his Oscar-nominated performance as Sheriff Max Muller in the classic 1958 film The Defiant Ones. Mm. And he had roles in Dynasty and Babylon 5, among other series. He was a folk singer and guitarist. In 1959, he co-founded the Newport Folk Festival. I've even heard of that. That's pretty well-renowned, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And created the role, even more interestingly, of Captain Von Trapp. In the original Broadway production of The Hills Are Alive with the Sound of Music. Wow, that's huge. Yeah. I had no idea. Brown was born Lillian Claire Clot and was born and raised in the East End of London and was evacuated to Wales during the war. She renamed herself Georgia while performing as a lounge singer. She recorded albums with Decca and then moved into musical theater. Her breakthrough role was as Nancy and Oliver. <laughs> Why are you saying it like that? Because it's got an exclamation point on it. Oliver. Oliver. A role she created in the original 1960 London production. Look at the two of them creating these iconic roles. I know. It's crazy. And she was in the Broadway one as well. Hmm. She developed Shoulder to Shoulder, a six-part BBC series about women's suffrage in 1974 Hmm. in response to the lack of weighty female roles in TV. She earned an Emmy Award nomination for her role as a Carla Tortelli spiritual advisor, Madame Lazora, in Cheers. Oh, right. Ah. God, she was in Cheers. There's many crossover Cheers actors yeah. on Star Trek. So. Yeah, she's great. They're both great. Worf acts pleased to see them, which is really sweet. He smiles a little bit, which we I don't know if we've ever seen yeah. before. Certainly rarely. And he lets his mom kiss him. Yeah. So we see him trying to yeah, yeah. be warm to them. It's, yeah, 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 it's cute. We get some more BS to build up O'Brien's character. Is he sleeping with one of the showrunners, do you think? <laughs> and they bond over both being chief petty officers, the dad and O'Brien. Yeah. He's joking. The proudest moment of his life was when Worf earned his commission. Can you imagine an old enlisted man like me raising a boy to be an officer? Come along, Sergei. There's plenty of time to chat with the boys. Your father has been so looking forward to this. Yes, I want to see everything, the whole ship. At home, I have all the specs and diagrams of the galaxy-class starships. We are in the midst of a repair. I cannot give you a complete tour. Oh, I'm sure if you ask the captain... You agreed not to embarrass him. Besides, we have come to see Worf, not the ship. Fine, fine, okay. Your hair is a little longer, isn't it, Worf? 
Oh, it's so sweet. It's so sweet. I'm it trying just, not to cry. Oh, it just rings true and it's funny. Yeah, it really rings true. And his hair is longer. Yes. You were very pleased with that one, weren't yeah. you? Went, it is. It is longer. <laughs> she notices. You can see him looking at it in the mirror later. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. On Earth, Picard reaches the outskirts of the vineyard on foot when he notices someone in the bushes, a boy. After a bit of attempted banter from Picard, which <laughs> goes awkward. down like a lead balloon. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> the boy recognizes Picard as his nephew. A funny conversation follows where it's clear Renee's been told Picard doesn't like to come home and has <laughs> been referred to as an arrogant son of a... <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah. It's really cute the way the kid calls Picard his nephew. His nephew, And he yeah. just runs with it. Later, David Tristan Birkin, the child actor who played Renee, reappeared in the sixth season episode, Rascals, as young Jean-Luc Picard. Ooh. Uh-huh. Upon arriving at the house, Picard meets his sister-in-law, Marie. Filmed at a house in Encino, California. Not France, but what? No. She's very welcoming and Picard seems moved to see that the house and grounds look exactly as he remembered them. It's his childhood home. Marie is played by Samantha Egger, English-American, born Victoria Louise Samantha Marie Elizabeth Therese Egger. Wow. <laughs> the initials of the two triplets of given names form the initials of each of her parents' first lovers. What? what? Oh my God. Supposedly, according to Wikipedia anyway. It That's is wild. Odd. After beginning her career in Shakespearean theatre, she rose to fame for her performance in William Wyler's thriller, The Collector which earned her a Golden Globe Award and an Academy Award nomination for Best Actress. Mm. She also played Hera in Disney's Hercules. It's really strange, too, because Picard's never met her in person. So he didn't go to his brother's wedding. Mm. He's never met his nephew before. Yeah. Like, all this stuff. So, but she's been writing to him yeah. and keeping him part of the family. Yeah. Marie tells him that keeping the house the same was very important to Robert, and Picard says that it was so for their father as well. Picard then goes on to find his older brother, tasting grapes and treating sick vines. A dryland near Lancaster stood in for the vineyards, which were then digitally inserted into a map painting that shows the surrounding village and hills. Oh, okay. You could kind of tell it was a map painting, but yeah. it didn't matter today. No, no. Yeah. It communicated what it needed to communicate. Yeah. And this guy, he's got quite a distracting lip. <laughs> but I got used to it as it went along. He has a distracting everything. He's oh. a very unusual looking person. Yeah. Robert greets him very coldly, keeping mm. his back to him and calling him Captain. Mm. Can you hear those air quotes? Captain. Yeah, yeah. Clearly they are not on good terms. Mm. This is the last thing I'd want to deal with after a trauma. But maybe it made Picard grateful for his life and determined to repair rifts. Also, when you're already feeling terrible, I guess, why not pile on some more and sort it out all at once? Yeah. Robert is played by Jeremy Kemp. English, also trained at my alma mater, yeah. Oh, yeah. In Zed Cars, he was in Space 1999, mm. lots of US TV series. I thought it was a little familiar and he played Leontes in a BBC version of A Winter's Tale, which I studied for A-level. Ah. It's a terrible play. I'm oh. sorry, Shakespeare, but you really phoned it in with that one. He was uh, <laughs> at the end of his life with that. Uh, he was also in Four Weddings and a Funeral. His wife was called Christopher. Mm. I mean, I've heard of a woman called Michael, but... There's no rules. And he was a twitcher. Twitcher? What does that mean? <laughs> Bird watcher. Oh, I see. Meanwhile, back on the Enterprise, Dr. Crusher is t talking to Troy in her quarters about her plans to visit Angel Falls in Venezuela with Riker. Ooh, they're at it again. I love this idea, though, of going anywhere on Earth. Yeah. You'd feel duty bound if you had family or friends on Earth to visit them. Sure. But then you might feel quite tempted to go somewhere you've never been. Well, when you can transport anywhere on the planet mm. any given moment. Do both. Do both. Yeah, bring your family with you. Troy wouldn't have any family there. No. But 
Riker presumably would. Yeah, well, his dad. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, it won't bother with him, would ya? Bev receives a suitcase belonging to her late husband, Jack, and finds a holographic message from Jack for Wesley, recorded just after Wesley was born, to be given to him when he was 18 years old, Mm. which was just a very sad thing. Not gonna cry. Uh, It's making me think things and feel uh, things. He intended to make many more, but of course he never got the chance because oh, that's he even sadder. died. Yeah. Bev is worried it may do more harm than good, but Troy counsels that Wesley has many questions that Beverly can't answer. And maybe it would help him. Yeah. I um, think it would be so rad to have a message to see my dad <gasps> when he was, you know, 23 years old. Yeah. And like what he was thinking and what he was feeling, what he was like, what he mm. looked like, how he moved. Because you, you kind of forget what kind of people they were yeah. and where they came from and probably got all bogged down with parenting us sure yeah <laughs> when they had dreams yeah <laughs> <laughs> I like that Troy provides another perspective and she knows Wesley well but she does tend to come off with her advice as the definitive way to do it yeah. which I don't like as much oh. LaForge and Worf are giving the Rosenkos a tour through the engineering section and we can tell Worf is worried about imposing his parents on Geordie Sergei tells LaForge a story about how they were called to school after Worf got into a fight. Worf was seven and had beaten up five teenage boys. <laughs> <laughs> Helena tells him the principal said, thank God he's an only child. Aww. And everyone has a little chortle except Worf. <laughs> so embarrassing for Worf. Sergei's about to launch into another story, but Helena sees Worf's face and stops him, which she does a few times during yeah. this episode. And he's not trying to embarrass him. No. At all, they're just proud of him and yeah. want to talk about him. Yeah. I can see to them, he, they're proud. They're like, yeah, that yeah. kid kicked ass. But he's ashamed because to him, he seems like it was something wrong that he did. Sergei goes with LaForge to see the new engine core as he used to be a warp field specialist on the old Excelsior class ships. He's nerding out big time and he keeps telling everyone he's read all the manuals for the ship. <laughs> he can't stop talking about that. Yeah. Worf wrestles with his reactions to his dad and stops himself saying, call me when you've had enough of him, Jordy. He says, call me when my dad's ready to yeah, go. Uh-huh. Sergei asks LaForge about Worf, and Sergei is clearly concerned about his adopted son. Uh, Marie tells Jean-Luc that his old friend Louis, or Louis, I should say, mm. is now a supervisor on the Atlantis project. Robert says that he sees no reason for Earth to have another subcontinent. Uh-huh. I think the Atlantis project is about populating the ocean, mm-hmm. the Atlantic Ocean. And maybe there's already one going and they're maybe. proposing another? I'm not sure. Or just another continent, but this would be a subcontinent. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's very frosty still, and Robert disapproves of the project, which John Luke has been boning up on. Marie says the mayor wants to throw a parade for John Luke, Ooh. which he refuses categorically. Yeah. This prodigal son stuff has got to piss Robert off royally. Yeah, They get stuck into the wine, which can't help, I'm sure, no. as they will all episode. And Robert starts smack talking about Synthahol, which has ruined John Luke's palate. And he can't even tell a 46 from a 47 after 20 years away. I know. For shame. Oh, yeah, this Robert. Yeah. It's Robert. Yeah, I've been saying Robert. We hear that Marie has considered getting a replicator, but Robert won't hear of it. Hmm. He hates technology, just like their dad did. Father understood better than anybody else the danger of losing those values which we hold most precious. I don't see that you have to lose anything just by adding a convenience. Well, you wouldn't. But in my view, life is already too convenient. This is a very old argument. 
I wrote a report on starships for school. And he won a ribbon for it. The teacher even said it was one of the best he'd ever heard. Good for you, Uncle. You know what? I once wrote a report on starships when I was about your age. Did you win a ribbon too? I don't recall. And I don't find your modesty very convincing, brother. Of course you won the ribbon. You always did. Oh, so we really hear that jealousy coming through and he does not like John Luke's attempts to be modest about it. Mm. It really resonated for me when she said, this is a very old argument. (laughs) (laughs) My dad loves the statues one. Oh, right, yeah. (laughs) Pulling down the statues, yeah. Which is also about progressiveness versus history. Yeah. And they're also asking, is life too convenient? Do we lose the appreciation, anticipation, the savouring, the earning of things? What do we lose when things are instant? Yeah. And that's certainly something that we can all consider in our daily lives now. Absolutely. Robert says it's hard enough to protect his son from all that's outside in deep space without Jean-Luc encouraging him. Mm-hmm. And Jean-Luc calls him close-minded. Robert says, you raise your son the way you wish and let me raise mine. He kind of wins there, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, because like... <laughs> that's the last word. Yeah. The next day in the vineyard, Jean-Luc tells Louis he appreciated the family upholding traditions but didn't feel bound by them, which means he was able to go off and do his yeah. own thing. Jean-Luc asks Louis how he plans to accelerate the build-up on the underside of the mantle without increasing the stress on the tectonic plates. He's kept up with this project through the journals and he has ideas based on what they've done on the Enterprise. So it's time to headhunt Picard for yeah. the project. Uh-huh. And 10 forward on the Enterprise, Worf's parents feed back that everyone has said nice things about him. Oh, like, Yeah, because yeah. you know, everybody loves Worf. Yeah. Worf tells them that he wishes they would be more reserved. Oh. Oh. They take it well and have no doubt dealt with this all his life, you know, the yeah. time they've had him. When Worf gets called away, Helena finally gets upset, feeling for him about what he's been through. Mm. Guinan invites them to sit with her and makes it all right. He never wanted any human food while he was growing up. Everything had to be Klingon. I learned to cook rock egg blood pie. However, we never quite learned how to eat it. <laughs> it was a difficult adolescence. But you got through it. We didn't do anything special. Didn't you? Just look at him. I think he's pretty special. We knew it wouldn't be easy for him, growing up without other Klingons to turn to for guidance. We had to let him discover and explore his heritage by himself. Let him find his own path. So many parents could learn so much from the two of you. I'm afraid that Worf feels that we do not understand him. Well, part of him may feel that way. But there's another part that I've seen. Part that comes in and drinks prune juice. Part that looks out the window towards home. He's not looking towards the Klingon Empire. He's looking towards you. Yeah, this is when the tissues started getting reached for. I'm crying. (laughs) Definitely. I'm crying. I was feeling it too. It was so sweet that they had the call back to the prune juice and used that as a way to say he's also connecting on the sly with his humanness or with you, you know. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Marie is amazed that Jean-Luc is even considering taking the job offer Louis has made him, but says it would be wonderful if he were home for good. Louis has set up a preliminary meeting about the role which Jean-Luc angrily shuts down. He didn't consent to any of that. Mm-hmm. 
Back in Worf's quarters, his parents come to see him. Worf admits that at first he wasn't sure he wanted them to come on board the Enterprise, but now he's glad they came. They bring up his discommendation. After we read your letter about the discommendation from the Klingons... We didn't exactly understand it all. We didn't have to. We know what kind of man you are. Whatever you did, we know it was for a good reason. I must bear my dishonor alone. That is not true. I'm sorry if this is too human of us, but whatever you are suffering, you must remember we are with you. And that we're proud of you. And that we love you. You are our son. Pause to cry. I'm crying. I am crying. I am crying. Right. Just thinking about it is making me cry. It's so... Worf reaches out to them and they take his hand. So lovely. Mm. Back in France, while drinking, Robert says that the gallant captain out of control on wine is something he'd like to see. Mm. He says that he has gathered that Jean-Luc has been injured in some way because of his encounter with the Borg, but he doesn't mm-hmm. quite understand what happened. And he says, you could use a little humiliation or humility. Oh. And Jean-Luc walks out and Robert follows up all up in his business. Oh, that's so mean. Well, yeah, but he knows his brother. I think that what he's doing here is on purpose. He's goading him to try and get something resolved eventually. Yeah. Think. Yeah. Jean-Luc asks him if he was so jealous all the time. And Robert goes, yeah, I was. And I was justified. I'm watching you receive all the cheers, break all the family rules, and get away with it. Uh As the older brother, I had to be responsible. And Picard says, you were a bully. Mm -hmm. And Jean-Luc punches him, bowling over into some casks, tackling him into the mud in the the vineyard. Oh, my gosh. They've really hydrated that soil. (laughs) We get some proper mud wrestling until they're... (laughs) absolutely covered in mud and they start laughing but then it goes quickly from being silly to sad <laughs> you were asking for it you know yes but you needed it you have been terribly hard on yourself you don't know Robert you don't know they took everything I was he used me to kill and to destroy, and I couldn't stop them. I shouldn't have been able to stop them. I tried. I tried so hard. I wasn't strong enough. I wasn't good enough. I should have been able to stop them. I should have. Oh, so moving. And they just had us in the palm of their hand to be able to go from covered in mud and laughing to one of the most heartbreaking parts of the episode. Oh, gosh. I remember when it was first on. And even as a young teenager, I was still blown away by this and moved. Yeah. The opposite of being a captain in his chair, in his uniform, is in the earth, covered in mud. Vulnerable. Vulnerable, emasculated, and saying, I I should have been able to resist them. Yeah. Yeah. Robert gently observes that his brother is a normal, regular human after all. Mm. This is going to be with him for a long time, and he has to learn to live with it, either under the sea or above the clouds. They pull each other up, and affection is between them for the first time, really. Yeah. Maybe yeah. in their whole relationship. Yeah, We're not sure. Maybe they've used this uh, technique before, but it's been a long time. Mm-hmm. 
In another funny scene, Marie finds muddy footprints, ridiculous clods of mud <laughs> in the house, leading up to the brothers who are drinking and singing together, still filthy with mud. She asks them what happened, and looking at each other to get the story straight, they claim they both fell down. <laughs> <laughs> Marie says at least they got it out of their systems. Jean-Luc has decided his place is on the Enterprise. Yeah, well, no surprise there. Oh, yeah. And he says if he should ever doubt that again, he knows where to come to get his head right. Yeah. We're back on the Enterprise and Wesley loads his dad's message into the holodeck. It's the uniform style that we saw on the Enterprise C. When the time-traveling ship With Yar came, came through. Right. Yeah, and Yar oh, went back gosh, okay. His dad looks him in the eye as he gives a speech. Jack says he wants Wesley to know what he was like when Wesley was born. Hmm. He talks about becoming a different person as we age. He apologizes for the mistakes he will make through Wesley's life. You're only a baby, but it's remarkable. I can see in your face all the people I've loved in my lifetime. Your mother, my father and mother, our family. I can see me in you too. And I can feel that you're my son. I don't know how to describe it, but there's this connection, this bond. I'll always be a part of you, Wesley. <laughs> well, I hope this makes some sense to you. I'm not sure that it does to me, but maybe I'll do better next time. I love you, Wesley. It's too much. It's too much. Uh, and you didn't relate to it as a parent when you first saw this. Oh, God, no. No, there's so much that it just rings so completely true. It starts off being a little bit of an ego trip that he's talking about himself and thinking that his baby son will want to know all about that later, but then it quickly becomes moving and thoughtful. Jean-Luc, meanwhile, prepares to leave, this time in uniform, which was a bit weird that he brought it with him. I thought oh, he yeah. showed up in the Ross Overtop. It's a metaphor for I am Starfleet through and through, which yeah. we never doubted. Rene tells Jean-Luc he'll be leaving for his own starship one day. Jean-Luc says that when he gets older, he may change his mind, trying to appease Robert, I guess, by giving him other options. Mm -hmm. But both brothers have changed in response to the other. He and Robert embrace. Yeah, it's like a real hug too. Yeah. yeah. As Worf says goodbye to his parents, he asks his mum to send him some of her rock egg blood pie, which she had learned to make really well when uh -huh. Worf was a kid. They meet Picard at the door and Worf introduces him to his parents, the embarrassment gone. We end with this. You had the full tour, I trust. Well, actually, there's still a few areas because of the repairs. Sergei, it's time to go. Yes, yes. Yes, okay. okay. I have all the specs and diagrams at home. He's still out there. Dreaming about starships and adventures. It's getting late. Yeah. But let him dream. Aww. Aww. Yes, Robert's been changed too. Yeah? Yeah. Concepts. Michael Pillars suggested the quiet episode to heal Picard's wounds on camera. Mm. As they worked on the previous episode, he wrote, I can't help but feel that after what Picard had been through, that being back to normal is simplistic and incredible, especially for a show that takes such a realistic look at humanity and life. 
Why not use the next episode to explore Picard's recovery? Bandage, his face healing, but there is more than just physical healing to be done here. It is uncertain if he can ever fully recover from the nightmares of, of his captivity to resume command. There is an interesting echo of the Beirut hostages returning home to be found here. What a fantastic piece of writing. He already knew as he was doing best of both worlds that this is how it should be rounded out. Yeah. And it turns into a fantastic, heartfelt episode. Yeah. About the Beirut hostages, a few months before writing this episode, two US hostages had been released. Robert Polhill, after 39 months, Oof. aged 56, he'd been kidnapped while working as a professor at Beirut University. Mr. Polhill was often chained in a windowless room poorly fed and isolated much of the time. He enjoyed it by dreaming of musical instruments he wanted to learn how to play and of Frank Sinatra singing. What an amazing testament to the human spirit. Oh my God. Frank Reed, also a professor, was held for 3.5 years, blindfolded much of the time. When you are a prisoner, he said, you understand that you have a sentence and you know how long you're going to stay. We had no information about who they are, where we are. We had nothing, no radio, no news to go by. Hmm. Pillar compared Picard's ordeal to rape and said, we can't have him going back to being fine the next week. And that was meaningful to read for me in the context of Picard's tears and yeah. the mud about not being able to resist yeah. and feeling that he should have been able to. Yeah, yeah exactly. Berman accepted this episode pitch, but only if a sci-fi storyline was added. <laughs> Various plots were tried, including a child stowaway and another in which crew members disappeared. Berman relented when it became clear that the plots would not work well together and the show's family-themed subplots were added to fill in the hour. Hooray! Oh my God. Thank so, goodness for so that. So good. They're all good. Yeah. According to Moore, Gene Roddenberry hated the script of the episode. <laughs> oh, why are we not surprised? Of course, of course he did. It says terrible things about Picard's parents. These brothers don't exist in the 24th century. They have such profound personal animosities. This would never happen. I don't buy any of this. This is not a Star Trek episode. There's no action in this. There's no jeopardy. We can't do this show. Well, they did. Uh, yep. <laughs> Pillar and Berman advised Moore to finish the script anyway, and that they would deal with Roddenberry. <laughs> the episode had working titles, The Road Not Taken and Crossroads. For me, the least interesting part of the story was Jean-Luc considering another career path. I didn't buy for a second that no. he was going to do that. Relational concepts up the yin-yang in this episode. The heart of what it means to be a son, a parent, a brother. We had technology versus preservation of the old ways. Mm -hmm. Technology as too convenient. Wondering what do we lose when we make things too easy to access. We had upholding family traditions versus feeling bound by them. One brother feeling that he had to follow the rules and continue the family tradition and the younger one being able to blaze his own trail and to do something completely different. Yeah. And then how much it hurt Robert to have his own son want to follow in his brother's footsteps rather than his own. We had getting it out of their system, fighting like kids to restore intimacy mm -hmm. and also for Jean-Luc to admit how much he was in pain still. Right, yeah. Adoption. Yeah. Raising a Klingon child who is determined to be as Klingon as possible, but being human parents and having human sure. parental feelings. Respecting his culture, but not being able to provide much of it except through cooking. Trying to understand him. He says, as a Klingon, I must carry the burden alone. And they say, no, we are here for you. We love you and we're proud of you. Yeah. <laughs> it's gorgeous. And Guinan reassuring his parents that he drinks prune juice and looks towards Earth and them as home. For yeah. me... 9.5. 9.5? Whoa! I've just left that 0.5 because 
officially didn't have much sci-fi uh, in it. Well, so that's just my slight we, little... We, we have discussed uh, on our comment show expanding concepts to me, not just sci-fi concepts, but concepts about relationship, society, humanity, all those types of yeah. things. So I'm going to jack it up. Not 9.5. <laughs> There's a lot to think about and a lot to relate to, and it's saying quite a bit here. So I'm going to give it an 8. All right. That's good for you, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Entertainment. Director Les Landau remarked, I think it was certainly one of my best episodes and one of the best episodes of Star Trek ever. That opening moment where Picard walks into the vineyard and we see his brother on his hands and knees picking grapes and his brother doesn't even acknowledge him gives me chills just thinking about it. Mm. Captain's Logs, the unauthorized yeah. complete Trek voyages. Ronald D. Moore commented, It was a really charming piece and I was honored to have a chance to write it because it gave us a chance to really explore these people's lives for a change instead of saving the universe again and again. <laughs> And that was from Chronicles of the Final Frontier. I found it enthralling, funny, moving. It was one of the sweetest, most empathic and moving episodes I've seen so far. I'd say only comparable with the Lal one. Hmm. More laughs than the rest of TNG put together. Yeah. I had quite a few chortles in this episode. Sure. Great performances all round. I loved Dawn, worrying, frustrated, and then also smiling for his parents, both for their benefit and because he loves them. Yeah. Allowing a kiss, being kind, lovely. His mum picking up his signals every time his dad's being too much mm -hmm. and shutting that down and his dad respecting it and not wanting yeah. to push the boundaries. Yeah. Continuity of his parents wanting to be there for him because of the dishonour he had suffered several episodes ago. Right, yeah. And the juxtaposition of their personalities with his was just gorgeous. Yeah. John Luke and his nice sister-in-law who had kept the lines of communication open. The resentful, jealous brother who disagrees with everything John Luke believes in. And the comedy of them being found out, having fought in the mud <laughs> and pretending that they fell. And then his tears covered in mud. They made me kill. I should have been able to resist. I wasn't strong enough before helping each other up and embracing. That was gold. Yeah. No sci-fi. Yep. And I loved it. Sorry. Ten. Why do you apologize for it? <laughs> because there was no sci-fi and I loved it so much. Well, it's a ten. I want to say that, you know, we're going too high, but I ask myself, what could have been more captivating or interesting or en entertaining yeah. or emotionally connecting to something. Nothing. Yeah. I, there's, I can't fix this episode because there is nothing wrong with the, the entertainment value at all. It's a 10. And we had quite a few costume changes. And we did. <laughs> we yeah. didn't have a heist or dance numbers, but you can't have that and a really moving episode no. where you're crying all, all I the time. I, yeah, no, I don't want it's any of those 10. things. It's perfect. <laughs> it is perfect. It's a perfect entertainment episode. The 8 on Concepts is just because it's not sci-fi-y. Yeah, that's, that's I think it. that's fair. Uh, sexiness. Great crossover costumes, quite a few. Mm -hmm. And uh, fabulously chic trousers on Jean-Luc. Chest revealing, yeah. will there be a nip slip? Won't there, <laughs> uh, you know? <laughs> Conscious choice to cast men opposite Picard who made him look handsome. Sure. Yeah, mud wrestling. Yeah. Everyone had a bit of a tan. Oh, yeah. Might have been the colour correction, I don't know. Guinan's impossibly creamy face. I just, I don't know how. So beautiful. But it was a family episode, not a sexy one. It was. So three. I'm going to give it a, a 2.5. Okay. It just, I wasn't in that zone at all. No, no. It was completely neutral for me. Uh, stupid experts. It was good to see Jack's tape be kind of flawed and a bit phoned in rather than perfect because he assumed he was going to be able to do them every year and he was just trying it out that first time, you know, fumbling his way through as a parent with love. Yeah. So it's not a demerit for stupid experts. It was just nice seeing him be 
human rather than an yeah. expert. Yeah, yeah. Worf's parents trying so hard to be expert at Worf, struggling to understand him and getting it wrong for him sometimes. Mm -hmm. And then we had wine expertise versus <laughs> starship expertise. All in all, zero. Zero. Your guesses were pretty good, so by the way. They? Yeah. I said, will it be Worf's hookup or his brother? No. But then I guessed it could be his human parents. Uh -huh. I said I'd like to see his parents' awkwardness trying to parent him as an adult Klingon, but being tempted to fawn over him and express affection. Yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> I thought we'd have Mammal, no. Or a brother who's intimidating, even though Picard's a captain. Kind of. Yeah, he was. Not intimidating in the way I, I guessed. But no, but still. Intimidating and intimidated. But I was wrong that they would beam everybody up and save money. They went and did it yeah, on location a big and, budget thing, and yeah. sets. Yeah. Wow, what an episode! Oh. I, just doing this episode about the episode has been yeah. emotional for me. It's so good. If they were all like that, I'd do this for free. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be in. I'm gonna warn you. There are many episodes to come that are at this level. Great. So you've Yay. got some stuff to look forward to. <laughs> I'd like to welcome some new patrons to the crew on this auspicious episode. Welcomes Lieutenant Renee Riles and Mookibus. Welcome and thanks so much. <laughs> so glad that we have you on board and I hope you're enjoying your trip with us. I'm assuming since you've signed up, you must be enjoying this. Yeah, here we are in the fourth season. Woo, let's go. I, I want to thank everybody for their support. Thank you for backing us on Patreon. If you didn't, we would have stopped doing this long ago. Yeah, and uh, we wouldn't have got to this episode. Oh, gosh. And there's so many good ones. I just, these are just, it's bringing up all these other episodes for me. I, I can't wait for us to get to them and enjoy some others on the way as well. Yeah, looking, looking forward to hearing what you all think of it. All right. With that, I'm Rachel Lackey. I'm Chris Lackey. And you've been listening to Rachel Watches Star Trek. <laughs> Star Trek!